Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Amen. We are uh, here today uh, in this time, in this place, in this season. In our theology class, we've been learning that uh, we are in the midst of eternity. We're in the midst of a timeless world that God was before He created the heaven and earth, before He created time. We are here now in this place, in this time, moving through seasons. In that song, He is Lord of all. Whatever comes, whatever seasons we're going through, whatever transitions are taking place, whatever the world uh, is going through, we are in the midst of God's presence, the timeless one, the eternal one. The Bible says that all people that are living today, all people who have ever lived, all people who will ever live, will be resurrected from the dead one day. Some people will be resurrected to eternal life in the kingdom of God forever. And some people will be resurrected to judgment and condemnation and eternal shame forever. Do you know the way to eternal life? Do you understand the way to eternity in God's presence? Do you understand how to be saved from sin and death? judgment and condemnation. The scriptures we look at today, uh, the Apostle Mark, uh, Mark has, has put together two stories back to back to communicate eternal life, to communicate kingdom of God, to communicate how to be part of the life to come. So please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Verse 13, please. Eternity. We dwell in the midst of time. We dwell in a time that is short. This life goes by so quick. But eternity is forever. We will live eternally in one place or another. With God or without God. What is the way to life? And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. The disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And pause there, please. Cultures around the world have uh, traditions and they have practices of parents bringing their children to important people, especially to religious leaders. Wherever you go around the world, it happens to this day. Parents know that life is uh, random sometimes from their vantage point. Things are out of control. Life is hard. Children get sick. Troubles come. And so they're always seeking some blessing from God. They're always seeking help from God. They're always looking for their children to have the best life possible. No different in Jesus' day. 
parents knew he was from God. They weren't sure if he was a prophet. They weren't sure if he was the Messiah. They weren't sure uh, exactly of his status. But they knew that he came and he was a righteous man and a good man and a holy man. And so they asked for his blessing. Uh, we read this about laying hands on children. And from our cultural vantage point, that doesn't sound very good. But you have to understand back in the day that touch meant relationship. Touch meant blessing. Touch meant importance. And so uh, for a, a religious leader, a, a, a holy man, a rabbi, to take the time to touch and bless children, uh, it, it was out of the ordinary. Again, as we've said many times through the Gospel of Mark, children back in the day were unimportant. Children back in the day weren't on the same level of significance as the men were. They were uh, part of the family, but they were utilitarian. They were there for necessity oftentimes and need. You needed farmhands, you needed laborers, you needed workers, so you had a lot of children. And if they survive past a certain level, then maybe you start thinking of them as important and part of the family. With so many high death rates back in the day and so many uh, children dying in infancy and, and toddler and, and, uh, and little, little children ages, uh, you really didn't put a whole lot of hope in the future, but you, you, you wanted your children blessed. You wanted them to be set, set up for the future. So, so Jesus, uh, you see the, the culture of the day kind of displayed by his disciples' attitudes. They rebuked the parents, basically saying, this master, this teacher, this rabbi doesn't have time for your children. This, this great man, this holy man, he could give a rip about your children. Don't bring your children to him. And Jesus, um, so different from the normal rabbi, so different from the religious leaders of the day, he became angry at his disciples. And when he saw what was happening, indignant. In a few places where Jesus is described as being indignant towards these disciples, they still don't get it. They, they, don't, they still don't understand the kingdom of God. They, don't, they still don't understand grace. They, don't, they still don't understand um, the power of God. They're, they're, they miss so much in their following of Jesus at this point. Uh, but Jesus, his subject matter isn't children here. And the reason why this, this, uh, this story, this account is included in the Bible, it's not about children. It's about the kingdom of God. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, his, the, the focus of this account is the kingdom of God. And he uses children as an example. He points to the virtues of children. He points to the attitude of children. Describe those who have the kingdom of God. Let the little children come to me. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Uh, he's setting up children as an example for us. What is their attitude? What is their virtue that he's setting before us? Children are cute. They're cuddly sometimes. Sometimes they're not. Some people say, well, Jesus is talking about their innocence. We need to be innocent like children, some people say. Or, or we need to be pure. Children are pure, people say. And that's, that's not what he's getting at. When he tells the disciples, and the parents are listening, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And when he says, uh, whoever does not act in childlike ways, 
whoever does not think in childlike ways, whoever does not have this virtue, this childlikeness that, that I want to bring forth, they'll never enter the kingdom of God. What, what is he talking about? We can, uh, we can stereotype children. We can talk about children, and there's always exceptions to the rule. There's always the, the child that's a little bit different than everybody else. But generally, children trust. Children have this capacity to trust what adults say. Children have this capacity to believe what those in authority say. Children have this uh, ability, even in spite of, of contrary evidence, to trust. One, one part of this, this saying, one part of this teaching is that Jesus has been, in the context, Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom of God. He's been calling people to repent and believe. He's been calling people to trust in His words, the very words of God. And He's seeing again and again a lack of trust. He's seeing skeptical people and cynical people and religious people, people that think that they deserve heaven based upon their merit. He's seeing again and again people who think they deserve eternal life based upon what they've done or how good they are, how important they are, how special they are how powerful they are. The different ways that we determine our merit, our value, our worth, you, you can come up with a long, long list. Children don't have a resume. Children don't bring something to the table and say, uh, well, thank you for offering the gift of salvation, but uh, I think I've earned it. I think I deserve it because of these 17 reasons. Children just depend. Children just trust. Children just hope. Uh, the other thing about children, and again, every child's a little bit different, but in the scheme of things, in the continuum of different children, children also have no problem receiving gifts. Right? You, you, you bring the gift out and you say to the child, hey, do you think you deserve this? And they say, I don't care, give me the present. <laughs> Uh, the, the Santa's naughty and nice list, I don't think that works on any kid. Are you on the naughty list? I don't care. Give me the present. They receive it freely, in other words. Children have this capacity, whether they have been in trouble for a long time, whether they've been bad boys or bad little girls, when someone offers them a gift, they take it. They don't look at their merit. They don't look at their worth. They don't look like, oh, I don't think I deserve this today. I don't think that I, I shouldn't receive this. Children receive grace freely. Children receive gifts freely. This attitude of dependence on God, of free dependence, and an attitude of relying upon God without thinking about, well, oh, do I deserve His love? Do I deserve His grace? Do I deserve His forgiveness? That's what Jesus is talking about. They trust and they obey. They, they receive and they take humbly. They don't say, well, I think I deserve this because of all these things I've done. I think I've earned it because I'm better than my neighbor. I think I've earned it because I've gone to church for 17 straight weeks. The present is there. The gift is there. The offer of life is there. Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. Repent and believe. Receive. And a childlike faith says, yes. A childlike attitude says, I'll take it. Even though I don't deserve it, 
And I haven't earned it. I haven't merited it. I haven't won it. I'll just take it. Because you say it's there for the taking. Believe, repent, receive. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If anyone does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter it. And we are, as religious people, very eager to put our resume out there, very eager to say, I should get this because of what I've done. Or we're very hesitant to enter the kingdom. We're very hesitant to, to receive because we, we play this game of, well, one day when I get good enough, I'll come to God. One day when I get righteous enough, or one day when I get holy enough, I'll uh, go to God and ask for salvation. And the day will never come because you'll never be to that level of righteousness. You'll never get that resume up to speed. You'll never arrive at holiness or righteousness as God is holy, as God is righteous. What is the way to heaven? What is the way to eternal life? What is the way to be saved? What is the way to enter into the kingdom of God that lasts forever? To receive the gift of salvation. To repent and to believe and to accept God's offer of forgiveness of sins. This account is built upon uh, with the understanding of the next account, and so let's go into that. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the same subject matter, the same topic, eternal life, kingdom of God, salvation. He said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So that's the second half of the Ten Commandments, basically. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to, them, said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were ex exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first 
will be last and the last first. Jesus is setting out on a journey in this portion of the Gospel of Mark. He's moving towards Jerusalem. He's heading towards that cross. He's heading towards his sacrifice. He's setting out. And in the coming uh, accounts of Mark, uh, we'll, we'll see as he gets closer and closer, the intensity build. But he's setting out, and as he's going, uh, a man ran, runs up to him. Now, uh, the, the different gospel, we call this the rich young man, because uh, in the different gospels, there's a different emphasis. In Matthew, Matthew emphasize, emphasizes his youth. Uh, Luke emphasizes that he's a ruler. And, and here, it's his, his wealth that's emphasized, the rich young ruler, uh, some of the translations say. Uh, so it, it's an amalgamation of those different ideas. But here in Mark, uh, what's emphasized is his money, is his wealth, is his possessions. He runs up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, immediately, Jesus responds to that question uh, with a little bit of pushback, and it's stressed out uh, church people for the longest time. When Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Who is good but God alone? People over the centuries have been like, oh, is, he, is, is Jesus saying he's not God? No. Is he saying he's not good? No. What he's doing is he, he's, he's causing the guy to think. He's got, causing the guy to process. Okay, so the, because the, the man has come up to Jesus because, because the man sees something in Jesus. He sees a goodness about him. He knows he's a great teacher. Uh, the reputation by this time has grown throughout Israel. And so he comes up to this, this rabbi, this man he respects, and he says, good teacher. In other words, uh, you know, what must I do? He's saying, how do I become like you? Which, which is a compliment. He's really complimenting him. Um, but Jesus pushes back and he says, hmm, why do you call me good? Who, who's good but God alone? And so he's, he's making them think. Really? Uh, you think you can be good enough to be on the level of God? He's, he's causing them to think. Really, you, th you think that people can get good enough to be righteous as God is righteous or holy as, as God is holy? And so he wants them to think and he wants them to come to the conclusion, no, I, I guess I can't be that good. We can't be that good. We are in the habit of comparing ourselves to others. We, we, we line up people in our minds, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family, other church people, maybe other religious people. We say, oh, man, I, I'm so much better than him. I'm so much better than her. I must be good. And so Jesus is causing him to think, like, who, what, is, what is goodness? God is the definition of what is good. Are you on that level? So he's trying to get the man to say, no, I guess I'm not good. I'm not fitting heaven. I'm not fitting eternal life yet. So Jesus goes through, as we said, the last half, last half of the Decalogue. The only one that sticks out there is do not defraud. Uh, it's especially appropriate to uh, rich people in the day. They had a reputation of the commandment number eight, uh, stealing, uh, uh, nine, uh, defrauding people, or, or bearing false testimony um, and coveting uh, the Tenth Commandment. So it's really kind of a do not defraud. And, and So you're not one of these guys, these rich people who rip people off, do you? <laughs> That's what he's saying. And the, the man says, no, I, I, I've, I've kept all these from, from the time I was 12 years old when a, a young boy 
gets into maturity, the, the Torah is laid on to him when he's 12 turning 13. He's responsible to keep the Word of God from that point on. Sometimes in our day and age, we look at 18-year-olds and we call them youth still. Man. Uh, the, in ancient times, they had a different definition of youth. Uh, treated as men when they're 13. So here we, we come to this, 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 this point where uh, I've done all these things. Man, I've kept the law. And we're, we, we step back and we say, really, you've kept the law. And really, Judaism really thought you could keep the full law, the, the external rules. The externalism of keeping the Torah, the, the commandments. Even the Apostle Paul, remember when he talked about his life before he was converted? How he said, I, in terms of the keeping the law, in Philippians 3.6, I was blameless. The external rules, but we know Jesus goes much deeper in the Sermon on the Mount. When he starts saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, look deeper. The extent of the law, the extent of keeping rules, goes beyond externals. It goes to the heart. You can say you've, you've never murdered anybody, and maybe you've never literally murdered someone, but you've been angry at someone. You've, said you've never committed adultery, but you've lusted after somebody. The extent of the law goes to the heart, and so obviously this man doesn't understand that. But he's sincere. As far as he knows, he's really kept God's law. And still he feels a lack. He still feels like he hasn't arrived yet. He, as far as he knows, he's kept the law fully and completely. And he still feels far from the kingdom of God. Good teacher, tell me. How do I get into the kingdom of God? How do I get into eternal life? How can I be saved? Certainly you know, good teacher. You're going to show me. You're going to give me the extra laws. You're going to give me the extra work to do. See, he's an A-plus student who's looking for extra credit. He doesn't feel like he's arrived yet. He needs to do a little bit more in his mind because that's how you achieve eternal life in his mind, by being good enough. And he would put us all, I think, all of us to shame in terms of his external rule-keeping and his external righteousness. He'd look at us and he'd say, you Christians, I'm so much better than you. So Jesus looked at him, and this is the only time it says it in the Gospels as far as I know. He looked at him and loved him. Isn't that great? So many times in the Gospel of Mark, there's these little comments that Mark makes about God's love and God's compassion and God's mercy. He loves this guy. Even though you'll never, as far as we know, meet this man in the kingdom of God, he loved him. God so loves the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. Even though there's so many people that go to their grave without any hope because they've never trusted in God like a little child. They've never trusted in the righteousness that God offers. God's love is still there. He, he loves this man, and, and God... Man loves the lost people in our age. God loves the lost people even in this room. And he wants them to come to repentance and belief. And so uh, Jesus looks around. Uh, he, he, he sees what this, uh, what this man is saying, and he looks at him and loves him, and he says, you lack one thing. Okay, so the guy gets his, his you know, maybe he doesn't need to get his notepad out, but he, he's, a, he's, he's an A-plus student, so he probably has his notepad out. You lack one thing. Jesus knows what his issue is. Jesus knows what his idolatry is. Jesus knows his false God that's in his life. He says, basically, 
I want you to repent of trusting in this false God, the God of money, and I want you to show your repentance by going and selling everything you have and giving to the poor. He doesn't say it in so many words, but that's the pattern we see throughout the Bible, through Old Testament and New, Pen New Testament. It's the same story, just with different details. Those who come to God, they repent. They turn away from wicked things. They turn away from worldly things. They turn away from false gods and false hopes and false dreams, and they put their trust in God. The one thing you lack, he says to the man, what did he mean by that? You lack a dependence on the living God. You lack trust in God. You lack a relationship with me. A dependent, trust-filled, hope-filled relationship with me. He says uh, to the poor, uh, to, the, to, to the man who has a lot of wealth, a lot of money, go sell it all and give it away and you'll have treasure in heaven. Have you ever thought about what treasure in heaven is? What does it mean you'll have treasure in heaven? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, man, don't store up your treasure on the earth where moths destroy, right? And things rust. Your treasure on earth, they rust. Uh, things on the earth where thieves come in and steal. But put your treasure in heaven. Store up your treasure in heaven. What is treasure in heaven? What is that? You ever thought, is there like a, is there like a, bank in heaven right now that's got your name on it, <laughs> your stuff that you've stored up. It's not what it's talking about. See, our treasure in heaven is God. Our treasure is a relationship with God. Our treasure is a life, a life to come with God. You know, this stuff that we put so much emphasis on that we buy and insure and we worry about thieves breaking in or, or the government taking, these things we stress about, they'll all pass away, they're all going to burn, they're all going to leave, but this relationship with God, this life we have with God will live forever. Store up your treasure in heaven. Give away these things that aren't very important and you'll have treasure in heaven, you'll have a relationship with God. It's a choice he's, he's calling them to. It's a, it's a decision he's calling them, him to make. Repent of trusting in things that aren't going to last and put your faith in the living God. Come into His kingdom and live forever through faith in Him. Well, the man says, no. You know, I've got, I've got a lot. We can read between the lines. We can imagine his thought process. Man, I, I just bought that, that new fifth wheel. I'm going to enjoy it. I just remodeled my house. You should see my countertops. Man, I had to look a long time for that style of granite that's so beautiful. I, I, I don't think so. Man, uh, you should see my truck. You want me to give up my truck and follow you? I heard you didn't even have a place to lay your head. I hear you're a vagabond moving here and there and traveling throughout the country and people are trying to kill you. You mean give up that? Follow you? I, I, I don't think so. And so uh, he's 
He's disheartened. He's dismayed by the demand. And he goes away without entering the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, of course, something that's to come in one sense. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. It'll be real. It's tangible. You can touch him. You can walk with him. His rule will be everywhere. The governments of the world will be dissipated. The things of the earth will be set aside. And God's kingdom will be real. And you will dwell in it forever. But we can enter the kingdom of God right now. Spiritually. Uh, throughout the, the churches of the earth. In, in that outpost in Russia. And that outpost in, in South Korea. And that out, outpost in Japan. And that outpost in the, the Navajo Reservation. There's churches that have been of people that have been redeemed. People who have been gathered under the reign of the king. People who have repented and believed and now they've entered the kingdom of God. Now they're part of something that will last forever. They have a, they have a king reigning over them. They have a, a ruler over them. They have somebody that is uh, going to rule forever that uh, they have surrendered their life to and they've come to believe in and trust. And now they're part of the saints. The sainthood that will never pass away. But not this man. This man weighed the, the cost and he said, no, I'm not going to give up that for this. And he would have went away sad. And so Jesus responds, Jesus uh, in verse 23, let me read that again. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Why were they amazed at his words? Because in the law, the Torah, God said that uh, those who kept the covenant, the Jewish people that kept the covenant, they would be prosperous. They would be blessed. And, and it's true. The Old Testament, you, you read through the promises of righteousness, obeying the covenant, God promises that they would be the head, not the tail. They, they'd have plenty. But what the disciples don't understand is... Uh, not everyone who's rich has kept the covenant. Not everyone who's wealthy has been a, a faithful Jew. There's some who are rich and wealthy uh, for other reasons. But in their minds, God has blessed these people. That's why they're rich. And if, the, if they're blessed and they're rich and they're wealthy and they're prosperous, certainly these are the people who are going to be in heaven because God has allowed them to be wealthy and rich. Uh, that's their assumption. But, but Jesus says, in verse 24, Jesus said to them again, Children. Now, interesting, why does he use the word children there? It's, it's a, I think it's a different word than the one up in the previous pericope, the, the previous uh, parable, the previous story. Remember he said, uh, Man, let the little children come to me, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Children. He's talking to his disciples, those who have trusted him. Those who have left boats and those who have left businesses and those who have left the worldly things behind because Jesus called. The disciples we've seen through the Gospel of Mark, there's certain ones that have gone after Jesus no matter what, no matter what the cost, no matter what the trouble, no matter what the issue was, they went after Jesus. And so now he's speaking to them, children. Mark is tying the two stories together. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in church history, there, in the 11th century, there was a tradition started that there was a certain gate in Jerusalem 
that was real small and it was meant to humble rich people. You couldn't get a camel through it with goods. You couldn't get anything through it. You had to strip down. You had to bow down to go through this narrow opening. It's, it's a church tradition, but it's probably not rooted in reality. Uh, what he's talking about is just the, the laughable picture of a camel trying to go through a literal needle, the eye of a literal needle. It's not going to happen. Again, they're extremely astonished. Then who can be saved? Who can enter a holy God's holy heaven? Who can be part of a holy God's kingdom? Why would God allow such as us to enter that place of righteousness and justice and holiness? How could we ever enter into God's domain and live with Him forever and have treasure in heaven? Jesus, Jesus says it's... it's uh, you see what he said there in verse 27? He looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible. Hey, if you're one of those, uh, those students who hopes you're good enough, maybe, maybe, maybe really you've got a C average, but you're hoping that God will grade on the curve. Maybe you're hoping that I've, I've done enough righteous things that I hope I cross the line. I hope my goodness outweighs my badness. I hope the nice deeds I've done outweighs, outweighed the evil thoughts I've had. I hope that, that uh, maybe Jesus will look at, that God will look at all the people of the earth and somehow I'll be ahead of uh, enough others that he'll let me into my kingdom. Maybe you're thinking, you, you've, you look at your resume and, well, that looks pretty good. Especially compared to Jerron, that joker, man. If my resume compared to Jerron's, I'm definitely getting into heaven. But God says, no, you know what, by your resume, you A-plus students who are always looking for extra credit, you won't even get in by your merit. You won't even get in, in by your works. You, you won't even get in by all the good things you've done. It's impossible for man. None of us, by our own merit, by our own strength, by our own wisdom, by our own, our own uh, abilities or our own worth, will ever enter the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at them in verse 27 again, with man is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. It's impossible for us by our works, but by the grace of God, by the work of God, we can get into heaven. We can enter into eternal life. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and not by works, so that no one may boast. It's by the grace of God that you and I, only by the grace of God that you and I are saved. Peter began to say to him, oh, oh, you can, I, I just wanted the sound effects of Peter's heart. Oh, ah, oh. <laughs> See, we've left everything for you. And, and Peter's initial response, he, he just felt from the heart, didn't he? He just spoke from the heart. He's like, really? People can't be saved? What have we done? We've left businesses for you. I left my family for you. I left everything for you. Are you telling me it's worthless? Are you telling me this is a joke? See, he's kind of got this mercenary attitude here. Comes across really bad, but Jesus has patience with him and grace with him. He says, Peter, Peter, Peter. I tell you the truth. No one, who has, left, no one has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father. No one has left a child. No one has left fields. 
for me and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold in this age. Peter, no, no, that God is no one's debtor. God does not uh, promise something and doesn't, doesn't uh, pay up, so to speak. No, you're right to leave things. You, you are right to repent of the things that you worshipped to follow me. And the reward, the outcome, it, it's, it's great in this life. And uh, maybe some of you have been ostracized by your parents because you followed Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you have uh, not received jobs because people knew you were a Christian. Maybe some of you have missed out on wealth because you didn't get that contract because you were pushed to the curb by people who hate Christians. The promise is, the, the grace is, is that uh, God responds in this life. In, in a church, in a family, the family of God, you have so much more. Through this life, you get so many more blessings that come your way through those, those things that we, we miss out on. He says, not only that, but eternal life in the age to come. <clears throat> the question was, teacher, a good teacher, how do I enter the kingdom of God? How, how do I get eternal life? How am I to be saved? And Jesus said the same thing that the gospel has said for centuries. Repent and believe. Uh, we look at this passage and it kind of stresses us out. Does God expect me to leave all my money and, and become impoverished, to become poor? Uh, not necessarily. That might not be your idol. That might not be your God. We see throughout the scriptures that God... God has a way of putting his fingers. His, 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 he points to things that says, here's where you're off. Jesus has a way of, of looking at someone and, and saying, you love this more than God, don't you? The one thing you lack is devotion to God. The one thing you lack is trust in God. The one thing you lack, that's what you need to repent of, is God, the living God, God Almighty, isn't your Lord yet. You haven't trusted him yet. And so the call to repentance, oftentimes we think, yeah, it's sin. Sin is something that, that we live in and we dwell in and we act out. And, and so, yeah, we should repent of it. We should say, I don't want to live that life anymore. And it's more than just a sorrow over our sin and its consequences. It's a decision that plays out in real life. But, but repentance, uh, we, sometimes we get a very narrow view of that. It's just over this certain sin. But it's the repentance that Jesus calls us to is the repentance of leaving behind those old gods. Oh man, I, I'll be accepted if only I lose weight. I'll be accepted uh, if only I get enough money. I'll, I'll be popular if I do this or I'll be loved if I do this. And the repentance he's talking about is uh, we put our trust in, in this man-made God. We call those idols. We worship things that are by nature not God. We give, we give worth to things that aren't worthy of our worship. It could be money. It could be um, a degree. It could be uh, having lots of kids. It could be any number of things. Uh, look, look at my resume. And, and man, the thing about wealth is it's such an easy God to trust. 
It's a, it's a God when you're lonely, when, you, when you're having troubles in your life, you can just go buy something. Or when the stock market starts to fall, you, you can say, well, I'm not in need of anything. I'm safe. See, the God of wealth is so easy to follow, but it's such a dangerous God and such an enslaving God because people, by nature, tend to put their hope in it very, very easily. And so maybe that's your God that's, that's displaced the Lord God Almighty. Maybe if wealth is your God that you're putting your ultimate hope in, man, I've got to get a million dollars before I'm 30. Or I have to have five million in my retirement account before I retire. If, if, that is, if that is your God, Jesus does call you to repent. To leave that God behind, to throw that God in the ditch. And to, and to put yourself under the reign of a new king. To put yourself under the reign of the new Lord. To trust in the Lord God Almighty alone. Trust and obey, there's no other way. Trust in the gospel for the sake of the gospel, to believe that Jesus went to that cross and He did die for your sins and He did save you and He will save you for eternal life if you trust in Him. But other gods tend to suck up our emotions. Other gods tend to suck up our worship. Other gods tend to displace the Lord God Almighty from the throne of our life. And, and, and the call is to repent and believe. It's the old gospel story. And so every one of us... It, it, this money thing might not make sense, but every one of us need to look at ourselves and say, man, am, am, I, am I bowing down to something that really isn't God? The things I'm chasing after, the things I'm living for, is this something that, that is really truly a God that can save me or not? If not, leave it. The true God, His name is Jesus Christ. The one thing you lack, He says to the rich man, you know, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. If you're not following Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ isn't your God, you're outside of the kingdom of God. If Jesus Christ isn't your God, if you haven't placed that childlike trust in, in His Word, if you haven't placed that child, childlike trust in His promises, if you haven't said, yes, I, I believe, I receive, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Um, to prideful people, to resume-building people, to arrogant people, to self-centered people. Jesus says, repent and follow me. Believe. Have faith. Trust in me. And you will have life. May we be a people who get done with those old gods. May we be a people that really get it, that we stop trying to serve two masters. May we be a people that come to grips with our tendency to trust in worldly things instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we have the courage in real life to leave behind those false gods, those false beliefs, those false idols to follow Jesus Christ, to live for Him alone. Would you please stand in His presence? Mm. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your incarnation. We thank You for coming from heaven to earth, from earth uh, 
to the cross, to the cross, to the grave, from the grave to the sky. We thank you for that whole plan of redemption and salvation that you accomplished, dying for our sins, replacing our unrighteousness with your righteousness. Thank you, God, for that great exchange in our life. Lord, we thank you for rescuing us and saving us and delivering us. We thank you because of your work, because of what you accomplished, we do not have to be raised to eternal condemnation and eternal shame. Because of our trust in you, because we've received the gift of salvation, we will rise to life, to eternal life, in the kingdom of God forever. We worship you this day. Lord, let us, uh, let us uh, take this in and let us give you the glory and the praise and the honor. But Lord, as a sign of our ongoing repentance, as a sign of our ongoing faith, as a sign of our ongoing trust in you, give us the grace to live for you this week. Give us the grace to trust in you this week. Give us the grace to say no to sin and evil, the things that we might trust in this week. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your amazing grace for sinners like us. We say we're saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.